welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. All right. Thank you for starting that round of applause, John Mark. That's nice. It is really, it's great to be with you. I see a few people sitting in the exact same spot they were sitting last time. That's a thing you obviously guys do here. It's not, it's not unusual. And then maybe a few other people. So yes, I'm Stephanie, like Jenna said, and I have known Micah for a long time since, I mean, I've seen the guy in a lot of situations, listen. But I remember when he was trying to get into the situation of starting a church in like a joke joint, right? Some of you were there. And I have been praying for this community for a long time and have been uh, someone who has cared deeply about you without knowing you because of my friendship with Micah and now my friendship with Pastor Jenna, which is awesome. And so it's an honor to be with you. It's really a joy. And it's just as hot in, the, in Sheridan School where we worship as it is in here right now. So I'm used to it. So it's good. Um, last week when I was here, I let everybody know that I just got married last year and uh, my husband is the weirdest person that I know and he's here. So if you want to see what I mean, come on up introduce yourself to him and know that I warned you. And if he says something about me being the weirder one in the relationship, it's not true. He likes to say that our relationship is like a mullet. I'm the business in front and he's the party in the back. So if you want to see what that means, come say hi to us afterwards. Uh, I got the opportunity from Micah to speak about whatever I wanted. And so he told all of us we could talk about whatever I wanted. So watch out for Greg Boyd next week. Woo! But uh, my, one of my favorite topics is to talk about leadership. So I last week talked about Jesus as servant leader, and this week I want to talk about Jesus as king and what it means for our leader, Jesus, to be king that we're following and the authority that we have then because of the kingdom of God. Um, so I'm not so much talking about what it means for us to be leaders as much as what does it mean for us to be followers of King Jesus. So let's pray together before we look into God's word. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we welcome you to this place. We thank you that your presence makes a difference in our lives, that, that you reign over this church, that you reign over our world. God, that you are the king and you reign over these meetings this weekend. God, we pray that your presence would make a difference, that your Holy Spirit would come into this place right now, that you would speak to us, that we would be people who are different when we walk out of here than when we came in because of you and your spirit. It's in Jesus' powerful name I pray, amen. All right, I'm gonna start out with a question and I'm actually gonna ask you to answer it by raising your hand, okay? Um, last month, there was a royal wedding and I would like a confession, true confession, from anybody who got up at 5.30 or 6 or 6.30 to watch the royal wedding in real time. Raise your hand, don't be shy. Ooh, more people than first service, okay. Four or five people, great, okay. How about people who T-voted or whatever you do when you record it or watch it on YouTube later? Who else watched it? Okay, more people, good. Good, okay, so this is what I noticed. I, I did get up to watch it. One of my friends wanted to watch it and she said she would make scones or scones or however you say it in British. And I was like, great, cool. So I got up pretty groggy, ate some scones, it was fun. Um, but I've noticed that there are like three different types of people in my opinion when it comes to the royals and the royal wedding, okay? So maybe you fit in one of these categories. There were the people that were like, heck yes, I'm gonna watch that because that doesn't happen all the time and it's really interesting in the dress and the things. Okay, there's those people. You might've watched it on YouTube or you got up early. Then there's the people who are like, why would I give my life to that in any way whatsoever? Like, no way, I'm not doing that. Or maybe some people who are just like relatively apathetic. And then there's this other group. That's the group that's like, the royal wedding, what's that? That's a thing? 
They just have no idea that that existed. There's a guy in my church who came the Sunday after the royal wedding wearing like a hipster faded like British flag t-shirt. <laughs> no idea that there was a royal wedding. So he looked like a super fan of the royals. He was super embarrassed because that's not him at all. <laughs> it was really funny. Um, so I think that people fit in these categories. Now, whichever one you are, you are welcome here. If you got up early and watched with me, or if you're like, I don't get it, um, there's one thing that I want to suggest today that I think, I hope, we can all agree on, and this is not meant to offend anyone. The royals at this point have no power, okay, right? Yes, I see a couple nods. They have no authority whatsoever. They're not in charge of really anything. I actually think there's more people in charge of them now and, and what they do than there are people who, that, than they have any sort of authority over anything. So if you disagree with that, we can talk about it later, but it's just kind of where it's at. Um, at this point, the monarchy, I mean, we're talking about a history where people had power and authority, but at this point, that's just not the case. So if you're in category two or three, there's a woman named Meghan Markle who married Prince Harry, right? Did I get that right? All right, so then she became the Duchess of Sussex, and that was her new name. So when you become a royal, you give up your whole life, okay? So she went from being uh, an actress here in America, an American, to being a royal. So she had to change her name, her entire life. She had to cancel all her social media. Everybody was talking about that, except for her, because she doesn't have social media anymore. And so her whole life, I mean, literally her whole life, she gives up her career, everything. And she's now being, I mean, pretty much she's withdrawn from the world, most people would say, and, and now there's people that are in charge of her, okay? This is the situation now when it comes to the royals, and I'm not saying that the dress wasn't pretty, I'm just saying that's the situation. So here's what I want to suggest. If we're talking about Jesus as king, it brings up kind of this monarchy vision of, of a king and, and queens, and what is this about? I want to suggest that some of us, as citizens of the kingdom of God, as followers of Jesus, behave relatively similar to the current day royal family. Okay, what I mean by that is we talk about Jesus as king, yet it does, and, and it's supposed to change our whole world, right? Like this means we take on a new name. We are not the Duchess of Duke or anything, but we are Christians. We are little Christ or Jesus followers. We are people who take on a new name. We take on an entirely different life because we're now surrendered to King Jesus. But I wonder if then we kind of shrink back kind of like the royals do, away from everybody else in certain ways, maybe not physically, but emotionally, maybe spiritually, maybe almost like undercover about who our king is, and, and kind of act like there's no authority being citizens of the kingdom of God. What if we have more authority than we think? This is the question that I want to pose to you today. What if we have more authority than we think? I want to suggest that if we understand what it means to be followers of King Jesus, then we will realize we have more authority than we often live out of. When we recognize Jesus as king, we're gonna see that Jesus is a different kind of king of a different kind of kingdom. Jesus is a different kind of king of a different kind of kingdom. Jesus is like no other leader. He's like no other president, no other sovereign, no other ruler that's ever lived or ever will live. And his kingdom is like no other country or province or little kingdom, I'll use that word a lot, like the little kingdoms compared to the kingdom of God, little kingdoms, low, lowercase l and k. The kingdom, capital T, capital K. The kingdom of God, the little kingdoms and their leaders are nothing like, in, in no way can even be compared to what it means for Jesus to be a different kind of king of a different kind of kingdom. This is what I'm gonna talk about today. I wanna to suggest that this, this concept 
is seen throughout the entire meta-narrative or the big story of God. We see this almost like a thread throughout the story. We, we see towards the beginning that there's prophesied that, that there's gonna be a king of kings in Deuteronomy and other places, but the, and that God is the leader and that there's gonna be this future savior, right? And, and there's this name given, the king of kings, but God's people don't wanna wait around for God to do something like that. And so they want, they demand in a lot of ways a human king and human leaders, and then they get a long line of pretty crappy leaders, which sounds familiar to me, just, just everyone. And then they, they hope that these people will do something like they're hoping for in the future king of kings and these other leaders, lots of them call themselves the king of kings and require that other people call them the king of kings, but they're not. And then we continue on in the story and this little baby's born. A king comes into the world in the most unlikely way. And we see Jesus' life reflecting this reality that he is now the king of kings who is here, who is Emmanuel, the with us God, but also a king. And then we skip all the way to the end of the story that we are looking at our future hope of the new heavens and the new earth where there's a throne and the king is sitting upon the throne, King Jesus. And there doesn't even need to be a sun in the sky because the king is so brilliant that there's light in all of the land. I mean, we see this beautiful picture of the kingship of Jesus at the end of the story, right? So do you see how it's just all the way through from bookend to bookend and here we are in the messy middle of this story? I want to look at a specific part of the story of Jesus' life. Last week, I talked about Jesus um, washing the disciples' feet. It was the night before he was taken, or when he was taken the night before he died. Um, it's when the, good, the Last Supper happens, and we have our practice of the Eucharist that comes from that night. And so I just want to skip a few chapters later, which is really just later on in the story, just probably relatively a few hours. And so we're going to look in John 18, if you have a Bible or a device that can have a Bible on it. And we're going to look starting in verse 28. So what's happening here in the story, at this point, Jesus has been taken by these leaders and the religious leaders are kind of taking him around to these different other leaders to see kind of who's willing to have the authority to put him to death, okay? So where we're going to enter the story is when Jesus is being taken from the leader Caiaphas now to the Roman emperor called Pilate, all right? So this is where we're jumping in, kind of in the middle of the story, but this, I think, is the most important spot because we see Jesus acknowledge that he is a king here. So what I want you to listen for is all the different aspects of power and authority that are woven in just these few verses, verse 28 uh, through 40, okay? So listen to this. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor, by now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. Okay, I'm just going to stop right there. All right, so they're, try they're making sure that they don't become unclean by going into a Roman palace or building because that would mean they couldn't participate in the Passover. No concern whatsoever with the uncleanliness of their heart that they're trying to get someone killed. No concern. Seems interesting to point out. So Pilate came out to them, isn't that nice of him, dealing with these specific issues that they have, and he comes to them and he says, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right, no authority to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? 
Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. Of course he's not. Your own people and the chief priests, your highest authority of leaders, have, brought you, have handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's a different kind of kingdom. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. What is the truth, retorted Pilate. And with this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Do you see just the power plays going on in this little tiny chunk of this story? Power play after power play. The religious leaders, the high priests, bringing him before Caiaphas, bringing him before Pilate. Who's going to be the one that has his blood on their hands and is going to make the call that this guy is going to be executed? Nobody wants that. They don't want to actually have it be their responsibility, and so they're putting it on someone else. They won't go into this palace, but of course Jesus gets dragged right in. And in here there's these questions and finding no fault and still staying in captivity. And then we see this interesting power play go on with Barabbas. So why do they want Barabbas to be freed? He's taken part in an uprising. He's the kind of leader that some of these people might want to have, if you can imagine it. The kind of leader that's going to use force and might to defeat the people who've been oppressing them. We have to remember, these are oppressed people, oppressed by Rome. They're feeling as though everyone's controlling their life. And so the idea that a leader of an uprising is somebody you might want to follow, I'm not sure I blame them right now. Because they're thinking, get us out of this situation. And so they're, they're looking to a leader like Barabbas and others, perhaps. But Jesus is a different kind of king of a different kind of kingdom. I think we can make a long list of the ways that Jesus is a different kind of king, of a different kind of kingdom. But I see three relatively simple ways just here in this story. For example, Jesus is a different kind of king first because he's so focused on his mission that he doesn't use the power he has access to even when it would benefit him. We know from reading the rest of the book of John, and if you haven't spent a lot of time in scripture lately, no judgment, but that's a great place to just read through. Look at the power and authority that Jesus has in all of these circumstances. He could, have, he could have used that power to keep these little kind of relatively pathetic little leaders from doing anything to him if he wanted to, but he didn't, did he? He let them bring him before this person and this person, and he went with it because, like it said here, it was to fulfill what was being said about how he was going to die and what he was going to do to save the world that God loves. He's so focused on his mission that he doesn't use the power that he has access to, even if it would benefit him. Some of us have a lot of power in certain ways because of who we are, maybe how we look, the color of our skin, and we can decide if we're going to use it to benefit us or not, or are we focused on the mission that we came to step into. The second thing I think is really an interesting point of how Jesus is a different kind of king of a different kind of kingdom here in this passage it's that he's so sure of his true authority that he doesn't defend himself. Do you notice that? 
Jesus is so sure that his authority is not the same as the authority of the little kingdoms that he doesn't even defend himself when he's before Pilate. Pilate asks him, what did you do? And instead of defending himself and saying, nothing, these people are crazy. <laughs> I did nothing but threaten their authority and their power, right? He doesn't defend himself. Instead, he responds with the truth about who he is and what he came to do. He's not afraid to say the truth, but you notice it's not out of defense. I don't think being defensive in this setting would have done anything anyway, let's be honest. But how quickly do we jump to being defensive when we feel like we have to be on the defensive all the time? Jesus isn't on the defensive. The kingdom of God is on the offensive in this situation. It just doesn't look like it. And right now, he would be tempted, I think, to defend himself, but he doesn't. He just speaks the truth and says, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing here. And he's really honest about that and speaks to the concept of truth right here. He doesn't defend himself in that way. And then the third thing that I think is an interesting way that Jesus seems to be really a different kind of king, a different kind of leader, he doesn't submit to what I want to call the governing principles of the little kingdoms. Jesus doesn't submit to the governing principles of the little kingdoms. It looks like he is to some extent, but he's really not. And here's what I mean by that. He says in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders but my kingdom is from another place. My kingdom is different. He's not submitting to the governing principles. What do I mean by that? A governing principle in this culture here, and perhaps today, is that if your leader, Jesus, is being threatened, you would respond with violence. Jesus is saying, this is not the governing principles of my kingdom. That's the governing principle of your little kingdom. We remember that Peter, who was one of the main characters in the foot washing story, right? He responds right away when Jesus is being taken by the soldiers by grabbing a sword and cutting off a guy's ear. Remember that part of the story? And Jesus is like, Peter, put that down. Casually picks up the guy's ear and puts it back on. It's like, this is not what we do. We are not to be like that, Jesus says in other places. We don't lord power over people and we don't respond with violence. That is a governing principle of the little kingdoms. But my kingdom is not like the little kingdoms. Do you see how he's not being controlled by the governing principles of the little kingdoms in this setting? That's what I think Jesus is trying to point out. But make no mistake, the kingdom of God is not passive. It's absolutely active. The kingdom of God does not shrink back and invite its citizens to withdraw from all the little kingdoms. Instead, the kingdom of God is in the midst of the little kingdoms. Jesus says multiple times, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is in our midst. It's, it's close to us. It's in the midst of the little kingdoms. It's most absolutely present, but the citizens are set apart as ambassadors for the kingdom of God. The citizens of the kingdom of God within the little kingdoms are set apart as ambassadors for the kingdom of God. So as the story continues, most of you realize like Jesus does get killed, but since he is a different kind of king of a different kind of kingdom and doesn't have to submit to the principles of those little kingdoms, like principles like once you die, you have to stay dead. He doesn't <laughs> because he doesn't have to if he doesn't want to because he's God. And so he says, I, my kingdom doesn't have to submit to this. You can put me to death because this is my plan for being able to participate and lead through what it means for me to have saved and be saving and save the world. But I'm not gonna stay dead because I don't have to be submissive to the governing principles of the little kingdom. Jesus came back to life. Now, if you're one of these followers of Jesus in this time, 
You watch this happen. You see people free Barabbas. You see him die. He comes back to life. I would say you have some questions you need to ask yourself, and they're going to invite a specific response. These followers of Jesus have to decide, what are we going to do with this reality? And you know what? 2,000 years later, I think the questions are pretty similar for us today. I think there's just three questions that I think are the questions that we need to consider if Jesus really is a different kind of king of a different kind of kingdom, what does that mean for us? Relatively simple, but maybe not so easy to do. The first question, will we surrender to this king and choose to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? Will we surrender to King Jesus and choose to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? You guys, this is not a small thing. It's not something you can do one day and then kind of not do the next day and kind of decide which kingdom you want to be a part of on a daily basis. It's a kind of all in or all out type of thing. Sometimes it seems that that's not the case, but I want to suggest it really is one of those things you have to give your whole life to, your whole life to the reign of King Jesus in your own life. It means that to some extent, you need to renounce the authority the little kingdoms try to have over you in your life. When you become a citizen of the United States, two months ago I went to a citizenship ceremony. There's an oath that someone takes if they become a citizen of the United States. And part of that oath is that you renounce any sovereign, every king, any president, any leader that you've ever had as having any more authority over you than now the authority of the United States. I think it's similar. We have to renounce the other authorities that try to have control over us. And here's the sneaky thing about the little kingdoms. Remember, there's the kingdom of God capitalized, the little kingdoms. The little kingdoms come in all sorts of sneaky shapes and sizes. The little kingdoms can look like a group of friends that have a certain set of principles of how they do life that's not kingdom principles. It can look like, you know, a, an unhealthy relationship. It can look like a family system. Watch out for that one. Don't our families sometimes have principles? And you're like, this is not, this is not what, those principles might not be written down, but we know what they are. Don't we know there's other little kingdoms in our life, communities that we're a part of? Think about that for yourself. What are the other little kingdoms that vie for your allegiance? Let me give you an example that's not maybe true for all of us, but for many of us. How about the little kingdom of um, whatever workplace you're a part of? Particularly if you're a part of workplace, a workplace that's not having any even attempt to have Christian values, they might have a set of values and there's nothing wrong with them. I'm not even saying that. I'm just saying, aren't there other principles in a lot of workplaces that are absolutely not kingdom of God principles in the sense that they're saying, we vie for your allegiance to these sometimes unwritten principles. For instance, in a lot of workplaces, an unwritten principle is you need to compete to get ahead. The goal is to get promoted. The main focus here is to figure out how you can do better, maybe better even than your coworkers, certainly better than any other competing company so that we can be better and make more money. There's not necessarily anything inherently wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with getting a promotion. Congratulations if you just got one. I'm just saying, does that sound like kingdom principles? Kingdom principles would be, yes, you're there to use the gifts and skills that you have, but because you're joining in as a co-laborer with God, no matter what vocation you have, you are there as a representative of the king. You are there to seek the peace and prosperity of the city because that's what people do when they come in looking for the common good. This is what it means. And, and you don't do things for the sake of powering over other people. You do things to be a servant, like we talked about last week. Jesus says, be a servant of all. The last shall be first, right? The, the, the principle of the kingdom of God is that everything is God's. 
And we get to borrow them and be a steward of those things, whether it's the finances we receive from our jobs or the time and resources that we have. Do you see the difference? Not if you're with me. I've heard nodding makes you feel cooler. Okay, so the little kingdoms. So inherently that workplace, it's not that it's evil. No, it's just that those principles, those governing principles are not the same as the governing principles of the kingdom of God. What are those little kingdoms in your world, in your life, that vie for your allegiance? I will say, in my opinion, that human structures of governments and provinces and countries are also little kingdoms. Absolutely. I think it's helpful to say that because then we won't expect them to act like the kingdom of God. Great Britain with its royals and the United States with our government. We sometimes, don't we, get into a place where we kind of expect them to act like the kingdom of God and, and somehow be under kingdom principles? Of course they're not. How did we get there? How did we get to that place? So when, so when political leaders of any given country comes into some sort of space and does something that doesn't seem at all like the kingdom of God, why is that surprising? Maybe it wouldn't be super shocking that a political leader of a little kingdom has no idea how to accurately quote the Bible. I'm not sure, like, that's, maybe, maybe that's not shocking. <laughs> because that's not, they're not, there's no, they're not even suggesting that they're actually trying to be under kingdom of God principles. Perhaps you think they are suggesting that. I personally don't think that's what they're suggesting. So, doesn't mean there's nothing to do about it. I'm just saying, let's have some realistic expectations, okay? So, King Jesus only reigns over one kingdom, and that's the kingdom of God, and the kingdom reigns in the midst of the little kingdoms. So that's my first question for you. Will you surrender to this king and choose to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? Second question, if Jesus is king, will we accept our position in that kingdom? The passage that Pastor Jenna read earlier and multiple places in the New Testament, we see a few different ways we are described as the position that we have in, in the kingdom of God. Uh, two very specific ways are as ambassadors and as heirs or, or co-heirs of the kingdom. We are ambassadors or co-heirs of the kingdom of God. Kind of like Prince Harry, he's an heir. He's like sixth in line, does anybody know? His like little baby nephew who's like two months old is like ahead of him for the throne. So it's not like that for, for the, the kingdom of God. It's not like that. For the kingdom of God, we're talking about being heirs to a throne, co-heirs with Jesus because Jesus is living in us and through us. So we are co-heirs, not sixth in line. Like we are right up there with Jesus. Part of being an heir is to represent the king, similar to being an ambassador. That's what an ambassador does, right? They come into a space and they represent the king. So this gives us a clue for how we might behave within the little kingdoms. An ambassador is not against the little kingdoms, but an ambassador is certainly representing their kingdom within the midst of the other kingdom. It's not about even saying which of the little kingdoms is better than each other. This isn't the World Cup. Like this is... This is the kingdom of God is in the midst of the little kingdoms. So, it's not like we can just choose if we're going to be an ambassador today or tomorrow. An ambassador in the United States, right, from another country, they're an ambassador here whenever they're awake, even when they're sleeping, whether they're wearing the little pin of their flag or not. They're, they're an ambassador because that's part of who they are and their purpose and what they're doing. Everywhere Jesus went in this story, think about it, everywhere Jesus went, as he walked through these different towns, things changed. People were healed. People who were often unseen were seen. People who were not touched were touched. 
People who were needing healing were healed. People who were in need of provision were provided for. People were set free from things that were holding them in bondage. Everywhere Jesus went, things changed. And so it is with us as ambassadors of the kingdom of God. Whenever we go into places, things should be different because of us. These same things should happen around us because we are people who are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. So I think it does mean that we should think about how do we respond when, no shock, the little kingdom of our country or any other country is, is not caring for the vulnerable. If they're not, that shouldn't be a shock. But at the same time, well, how do we respond? That's a good question as an ambassador of a kingdom in the midst of a little kingdom. We are heirs, we are ambassadors, and then there's a third way that we're described as our role in the kingdom of God, and that is as children of God. As children of God, that's what makes us co-heirs, because we are God's kids. As it's Father's Day, um, it's an important day for a lot of us, but it's a hard day for a lot of us. For me, it's a hard day. My dad died when I was 17, and so if that's a story like that for you, or this day is hard for other reasons, I totally get that. Um, but when I was little, my dad would tell us stories. And so I'll, since it's Father's Day, I'll tell you one of those. He would call them daddy stories. And it was always a story about when he was a little kid, okay? So my dad was a pastor, my grandpa was a pastor, but my, my grandpa never was paid to be a pastor. He was bivocational. So that meant that he would serve these little tiny churches till they could bring in a pastor that they could pay. And in his day job was being a contractor in the city of New Orleans, Louisiana. So my dad would tell us this daddy story about how he would, uh, he would, was about nine, I think. He would always say he was about nine years old, and his dad invited him to come and start working for him on the construction site. I'm pretty sure that would be illegal now, but he's nine years old, and so he comes to start to work with his dad in this construction site, and my dad would say he was so excited because he thought, maybe I'm going to be given something I'm in charge of. He's nine, right? So he's excited, and so he comes and he does all these menial things, of course, because he's nine years old. But one day, my grandpa, his dad, says, Bobby, come here. He went by Bob as an adult, but Bobby, Bobby, come here. Out at the very edge of the construction site, there's a bulldozer, and it's about to bulldoze off of the edge of the property that we are, are, are actually working on. And so we don't have walkie-talkies because it's, you know, the, the 50s. So you need to run out there, and you need to stop that bulldozer from going into the property, or we're going to be in big trouble. So my dad would talk about how he just took off. He felt so important. He ran out there, and he stood in front of the bulldozer, and he was like, stop, stop, you need to stop. And the bulldozer driver was like, hey, get out of my way, kid. And then my dad would say that he said some naughty words towards him. But he never told me what those were. He's like, get out of my way. Who do you think you are? And, and my dad said, he said, I'm Bobby. <laughs> and the guy's like, who the beep cares that you're Bobby? Get out of my way. And then I think the story got embellished a little bit over the years, but he said that the bulldozer started to creep towards him, like, you know, and he's like, no, you need to stop. And finally, the guy says, why do you think you can tell me what to do? And he says, because my dad's the contractor. He's your boss. And the contractor, or the bulldozer guy turns off the engine and he gets out and he's like, well, why didn't you say that in the first place, kid? And my dad would tell us the story as he's telling this daddy story. And it didn't make as much sense to me then, but it does now. He said to us, in your life, there's going to be a lot of bulldozers. There's going to be a lot of powerful people and forces and experiences in your life that feel like they have so much more power than you do. Because you're just like me as a kid. You're just Bobby. But your dad is the boss. Your parent is the king. Of course, he was not saying himself. He would say, your heavenly father, your heavenly parent, 
He has all authority and he is sharing it with you. And so when you come up against these forces in your life, you have authority in the name of Jesus against the powerful because you're power, you are not powerful, but you have authority. And as I've gotten older, and of course not having my dad with me now, that comes to mind often because I do come up against those bulldozers. Perhaps you do too. Those things in your life that feel like they're coming at you, that feel like you can't resist them. And we forget, we feel like we're just little Bobby, but we forget that we have authority because our dad is the boss, our parent is the boss. So that leads to this final question. Will we live out the authority that is given to us because of our royal lineage? Will we live out of the authority that is given to us because of our royal lineage? This is important. Jesus says in Matthew 28, right before he ascended to earth physically, he says, common words, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me and now I am sending you. Do we realize how Jesus could have said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, but I'm out of here, so good luck. But he didn't say that. He lends his authority to us, invites us to be co-heirs to the kingdom of God. We actually have very little authority on our own, don't we? Some of you feel that on a daily basis in your workplace. Some of you feel that in your house. You have very little authority, even with your own kids sometimes. As humans, it feels like that. We know that. But we have spiritual authority when we realize that we've been given that spiritual authority in the name of Jesus. Our mission at Mill City Church, we say, is to love our community in the name of Jesus. Because we can take actions of love and pray in love and serve in love and express words of love, but without the name of Jesus, there's not authority in that love to make a difference long-term for the sake of the kingdom, for the kingdom that will come. We've got groups at Mill City that we call missional communities. It's our group life. And so they're like small groups, except that they also have a mission together. And there's this one group called Devoted Missional Community. And, and what they do is figure out how to love the victims of trafficking and love the people who are participating in the sex market in our city. And for them, that means a number of things. But one of them is to go on some Friday nights into the adult clubs and to try to build relationships and friendships with the dancers that are there. Of course, it's the women that go in and, and see what it looks like to build relationships and to remind these women of their dreams because so many of them are working there to make money, but of course they're doing more than dancing and stripping to make money in many cases. And so they go in and try to, to build relationships to encourage them and say, who are you for real? Who do you want to be? And of course, eventually are able at times to share who they believe they are in Jesus. And so I've gone with these women um, from this group into this, these clubs in the, downtown Minneapolis and um, people always ask us, can you just walk right in there? Like, can you just like walk in? Because we won't pay a cover, we won't, we won't. And, and truth is that uh, sometimes we can't get in. There's bouncers, they're there to bounce you, not out, not in, but out, right? And so sometimes the bouncers are like, no. But you would be shocked, I was shocked, how often they actually do let us right in. And we just say, well, we brought some gifts and we just want to encourage the women and uh, so we're here. <laughs> and usually they say things like, you church ladies? We're like, yeah, yeah, we are. And then we just go right into the dressing room and are always, you know, much more clothed. And, and we start to build relationships with these women. But you guys, when, when these bouncers just almost without thinking, they just open the door for us. I'm watching them physically open the door, but it's like Jesus himself is spiritually opening the door. 
because the governing principles of the little kingdoms are not more powerful than the governing principles of the kingdom of God. That establishment is not owned by the little kingdoms. It is not owned by the kingdom of darkness. Those people in there, whether they're dancing or their patrons are not owned. They have been bought with a price. Jesus loves them and is offering true love to them just like Jesus has offered to us. And so when we go in there, we go in as daughters of the king. It is like, come on in. <laughs> because if Jesus and the Holy Spirit wants us in there, we will go in there if we want to. And if it's not open, then we move on. We have authority in the name of Jesus. So I wanna close with two questions for you. First, where in your life do you need to step in with authority that Jesus gives you in Jesus' name? I don't know where that is for you. It might be in a spirit of fear that you have because it's anxious times, but you know that spirit of fear or any other thing is controlling you or tempting you or pulling you away from your allegiance to the kingdom of God. You can't just try harder. You have to let Jesus come in with all authority on heaven and earth and be able to overcome what's tearing you up inside. Maybe, and this might sound weird, but maybe you're having nightmares. Your kids are having nightmares. Maybe you just ate something weird. I don't know. But what if, and I've seen this happen in multiple times, there, there is like a spirit of darkness that's trying to move into your house. That spirit of darkness is not an heir to the throne of the kingdom of God. You are. And you can say with all authority on heaven and earth, get out of here in the name of Jesus. You don't belong here, especially not in my kid's bedroom. And I have seen it change the situation. Where might you need to have that authority in your life that you need to step into the thing that God's calling you to. I'll tell you this, as we've seen the Sheridan story go from just our church trying to love our school to 180 churches going into schools all over the Twin Cities, putting food in lockers and praying for these, these kids by name as we do that. In my opinion, the only reason we have that type of access and that has happened is because of the authority that comes in Jesus' name because the spirit of Jesus has decided we can. Not because the Sheridan story has a cool logo, it's cool, but that's not why. <laughs> it's because Jesus has decided that we, with the authority that we have only in his name, can be in there, in that space, and love those kids in that tangible way. Where might Jesus be inviting you to step into authority? And then the second question, I'm gonna ask you to think about this in the last minute of silence. Where do you need to step into authority, but perhaps, where do you need to surrender some of your life? Turns out you can't pick up authority if you haven't surrendered and have open hands to receive the authority that Jesus wants to give you. Maybe in the circumstances you're facing, the bulldozers that are coming at you, maybe it's your health, maybe it's, it's relationships, I don't know. Maybe it's just the current events of this last week politically, it feels like a bulldozer. You need to surrender so that we can pick up that authority we have in Jesus' name. Where do you need to surrender and where do you need to pick up authority? I'm just gonna have us enter into a time of silence to listen to that and then I'll close this in prayer as we move into our final song of worship. Holy Spirit, speak to us now. The places where we need to open our hands and release and surrender to you. I know I have to do that every day. Jesus, speak to us in the spaces that you want us to receive your authority and step into courage and boldness because of your name. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakening community or on Twitter at awakening community.
see you next time.